0: book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. Jamie's log, Progressive. The Harringtons' backyard,
2: day 27, 3:33 a.m. 3:33. All those threes mean something, or I may be losing it. Been camped in the Harringtons' backyard for 27 days now, proving that Progressive has 24/7 protection. They told me every day they understand what 24/7 protection means. Think I'm finally getting through to them. 3:33.
3: Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers, and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Derek Jeter. This is the Yanks Go Yard podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas
2: Carinante. Welcome to another episode of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. And does anybody have 25 million or so they'd be willing to throw towards a certain second baseman? Folks, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do get your podcasts, and drop us a mailbag question along with a five-star review, and we will be happy to get back to you in a future episode. Those mailbag questions can include something like, oh, I don't know, when did the Yankees become embarrassingly cheap? Uh, not sure when you want that answer, but it's it's any one of the past 10 years, pretty much, other than the Garrett Cole year and, and the World Series year uh, is an answer that works. Uh, Thomas, obviously we are going to be talking primarily DJ LeMahieu today because though not much has changed, this is the week where the DJ panic has set in as the Yankees have proven that everything we thought we knew about their negotiation tactic is reality and and whether you take things at face value or not, the Yanks and DJ's camp are over $25 million apart and they have now given him permission to to seek conversations with other teams, it would appear. Although, honestly, you got to look in the mirror and realize he's probably been doing that all along. Uh, How are you on this beautiful Monday? Have your feelings about Lemayhu and the Aggies changed whatsoever based on getting this information in front of your eyes instead of it being just an inference about what you've already sort of assumed?
1: I was going through my list of uh, to do things for today and about fourth or fifth on there was to start the DJ GoFundMe because now we've mm-hmm. reached a point where we're not feeling great. Uh, I think in the end, it will probably result in him coming back. But now, like you said, we have all this information in front of our eyes. We It's all out there. We know what's going on. It's it's le- It seems like it's less and less speculation as time progresses. Apparently Yankees offered four for uh what was it seventy-five? Uh well so it's more than twenty-five million, right? Mm. So DJ is
2: seeking five years a hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh there's no reason for the Yankees to just go ahead and match that unless it's dire and someone else has offered that, then yeah. there is a reason to do that. Um, but it's more than twenty-five million apart. So I would mm. say they've
1: probably offered four years seventy at this point. Yeah. And it's And It really is tough because hey, you're looking at the Yankees and you're like, come on, dude, just pay the extra year. And then you're looking at DJ and it's like, man, five for five for a hundred is a lot. And I know he got I, it is. And like, I don't know, I'm not one to talk. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be worth twenty five million a year or twenty million a year in my entire life. But. I know he gave the Yankees a bargain with a 2 year with that 2 year 24 million dollar deal and he vastly exceeded expectations. He was one of the best players in major league baseball and the price for those guys is what 32 million a year somewhere in that range. You're looking at Garrett Cole who's 36 million a year, so um, uh it's tough because DJ's not getting any younger. You don't really know what year 5 would bring, but then again, you're the Yankees dude, you're worth 5 billion dollars and the 20 the extra 20 or 25 million that you're going to be tacking on to the end of this deal you're not going to see it until 2025 or 2026 or whatever the hell it's going to be and then we're going to be out of the woods with all this pandemic nonsense so you're probably going to have the money to do so and the thing that really bothered me about all this was uh Los Angeles Dodgers new co-owner he's a he's a he's like a partial co-owner his name is Alan Smolininski um mm, big Smolin- man, heavy hitter. <laughs> yeah he sounds he sounds like a heavy hitter Smolinini Smolinski, I think, is how you say it.
2: The Dodgers Uh, sold a part of their franchise to the Polish (laughs) mom. He's actually
1: Armenian, uh, which I was (laughs) reading, but that's good. Um, Yahoo Finance, he spoke with uh, them, I believe, over the weekend. um, And he was talking about how he's very bullish on the long-term value of sports franchises and that he alluded to steve cohen purchasing the mets in the middle of a global pandemic and it was the most it was one of the most expensive sports franchise purchases of all time and it didn't even include the tv network which he bought for i think an additional like 1.8 or 2 billion dollars so the guy spent like four billion dollars during a pandemic on this baseball franchise and the tv network and nobody's batting an eye and i understand he's the richest owner in baseball so he's he's a little bit up there but when you look at The fact that the long-term outlook here is only looking good, it's pretty much a recession-proof purchase no matter how you look at it, and you have teams like the Yankees who are saying, oh, you know, we lost the most of any MLB team. Okay, let's be generous and say the Yankees lost
4: $200 million Listen up Ohio, because this is a test from Pepsi. If you call C Bus Seatown, you're not from Ohio. If you don't know the Blue Jackets actually have a fifth line, you're not from Ohio. And if you don't know what to say when someone yells Oh, you're not from Ohio. We know this because at Pepsi, we are from Ohio. In fact, we bottle ice cold Pepsi right here in CBus. So when you're thirsty for something that says you're from here and proud of it, grab a Pepsi and say here's to Ohio, where Pepsi and life are oh so refreshing.
1: In this- pandemic year just based on the loss of concession sales ticket revenue merchandise whatever and they're worth five billion dollars they can last 23 straight global pandemics again and still have like 250 million dollars left over so to me it's not relative once again I'm not a money guy but I do know that assets are obviously very different from liquid cash but if your net worth is five billion and you lost 200 million dollars and everything is trending in the direction of returning to normalcy within the next six, seven months, then I think you're good, and I think you should just end this and just give DJ what he deserves, even if he's asking for a little bit too much, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, and this is just bad press as this lingers on. And you had you had an exclusive negotiating period, and now that's over, and now he's going to be talking to other teams, and you don't know what other teams are going to offer. You don't know if the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to come in and blow him out of the water. You don't know if the Blue Jays are going to spend that extra $20 million to maybe coax him. I don't know. Do I think it's likely? Probably not. But you're leaving it open to chance, and chance is not, not a good thing to not have on your side during – these kinds of kinds of unprecedented times.
2: Yeah. The bottom line is it's not the worst idea in the world negotiating wise to not commit to one of the, you know, three or four most expensive free agents on the market in early December when no one else has shown any inclination of committing to any of the other top names, you know, the Mets and George Springer might be the first match that ends up happening because there's so much smoke there. Every Yankees Lemahieu report has sort of been uh, a will they, won't they? Where you know somebody says the Yankees are the favorite and he's their top priority, but will it get done? I guess we'll see. These other teams could eventually dive in. And now they're diving in. So, so that never seemed like it was on the verge of completion. Uh, the Mets and George Springer now have probably lapped DJ as the first marriage to occur. But Trevor Bauer is still putting out videos where he's like, these are my top 10 destinations. And the Trevor Bauer market is entirely created by Trevor Bauer and Rachel Luba. Like, I haven't heard a Bauer rumor in real life yet. JT Realmuto won't be a Met. They just signed James McCann. And his market is just a bunch of speculative fits. So, it's theoretically good business, I guess. I'm looking in the mirror, just rolling my eyes, for the Yankees to say, here's our initial offer. We understand what you're asking, and we're not going to jump our offer up by $25 million just because the fans want DJ LeMahieu back. But that being said, money in the sports realm, especially baseball, is fake. There is no salary cap. If you are rooting against a $5 million or $10 million increase in a deal, you're rooting for the owner to get another boat. Like, there is no good reason why the money can't be spent. I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm yelling at a a brick wall here. But there is no cap on financial investment. So when you're saying the Giancarlo Stanton deal is hamstringing the Yankees in the DJ negotiations – if the owner's telling the truth, no, it's not, because there's no money that has already been spent stands in the way of future money being spent unless the owner feels personally uncomfortable with spending his money. There's no mechanism in the baseball rule book that stops it. And I can guarantee that this $25 million or so difference, which is probably just a fifth year, like it it's worded this way to make, you know, probably to make the Yankees uncomfortable. This is probably coming from DJ Lemayhew's camp to put a little pressure on the Yankees, honestly, Uh, because a $25 million difference sounds massive. It sounds like a huge gulf. In reality, it's the difference between four years 70 and five years 100, which is the ask and which is the probable offer. So if the Yankees were to up their offer to a fifth year at any point, the money would basically even itself out. Or if they were to put together an incentive-laden fifth year or whatever, there is a way to make this happen. But once again, we are talking about the fifth year. That is a very long time down the road by then, I will have bought three pinstripe Pilsners, which will make up for about half the cost of the $25 million on its own. That's like $8 million a beer. Like, I, I can get that done for you. Like, the Yankees are talking about chump change here. I think it is worth noting that the dirty little secret of the whole thing, though, and sort of my pet theory, is that the Yankees, LeMahieu being this essential, broke their plan and ruined their long-term vision. The goal was definitely to keep Glaber Torres at second base, to eventually acquire an elite shortstop after Didi Gregorius left with their eyes on this 2021 class. And Le- LeMahieu would be, you know, a valuable contributor to the 2019 and 2020 teams. Troy Tulowitzki was the starting shortstop when LeMahieu, you know, joined the Yankees. There's a reason he came on a two-year 25, $24 million bargain because they thought this guy is a professional hitter. We've always loved what he's brought to the table. He will be a great utility man for the next two years. Hopefully, during a World Series run, he will deliver a clutch hit. He'll be Charlie Hayes for this new generation. Yankee fans will always remember LeMahieu fondly. And then he can leave after 2020, and and we can get an elite shortstop the next year, maybe a one-year stopgap, and we can always have this, you know, Torres-Story core or Torres-Lindor core. And then LeMahieu was so good – And did brought such a different element to the Yankees that they basically were like, they're backed into a corner now where they can either anger the entire fan base and pursue the shortstop. They've always wanted or resign LeMay and then sort of block themselves from the 2021 market. Um, And that's what I would do because there are no guarantees about waiting till next year and losing a year of Garrett Cole's youth and losing a contention window with a stopgap shortstop option. Uh, You know, you, you cannot guarantee Francisco Lindor will join the team unless you're willing to trade for him right now. So I still would rather bring LeMahieu back, but you do get the feeling now that these things are being leaked, that the Yankees wouldn't mind him saying no, ultimately, and, and that he basically, you know, by being an MVP
1: finalist, he wrecked their long-term plans. I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. This was not part of what they had in mind and. They like, he didn't even start on opening day that year when, when they signed him. So you knew that when that was the case, you're like, Oh, okay. So he's just going to be popping off the bench, giving us a contact bat, playing a multitude of positions, whatever.
2: Yeah. 300 at bats a year. They they didn't have Gio Urshela then either. Yeah. Like, we, we didn't know.
1: And you're probably looking at that like, yeah, you know, I'd spend 12, $12 million a year for a utility infielder. Who's, you know, going to give, give me quality at bats and, and put the ball in play. Like that's a Yankee. That's like a Yankees over purchase where they're like, okay, we, this is something we need. We're going to, Go a little bit uh, over the market price for it, just so we can we can call it a day, and that'll be that. Because Lemayu had been trending downward since his uh, career year in Colorado, not like anything uh, super drastic, but um, he certainly kind of played his way out of a, a, a big long term deal, and that's what ended up happening. Um, but yeah, I really don't. I, I I keep viewing as these next two years as the most essential because you have Garrett Cole who is. You know, he's 30 now. He's, or he's about to be 30. Um, He's either 30 or he's going to be 31, whatever it may be. Um, We just got a good year out of him, but it was a shortened season. So you have to view the next two, three years as Garrett Cole as the, the, the really what you're paying for. That's what, that's what you're paying the $324 million for. And if there's not going to be spending to supplement the roster around him, whether that's, helping the starting rotation or helping the bullpen or bringing back D.J. LeMahieu, then we're going to be looking at two potentially disappointing years. And I don't think it's going to be like that, but when you have these updates coming out and there's a lot of uncertainty and it's not really trending fully in your direction, everyone says LeMahieu the favorite, but I, I, everyone says the Yankees are the favorite to re-sign LeMahieu, but I, I don't know where the proof of that is aside from just, you know, Ken Rosenthal telling me that. So I th- that's why it's a concern, and that's why twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two to me are are the big years to to take home the hardware. And if they're not getting out after it as early as they possibly can in free agency and on the trade market, then I know this is different, but it, it's still not instilling any confidence.
2: Yeah, I mean, very quickly, the the only thing trending in the Yankees' favor is who else is going to just straight up give him five years, a hundred million. The Dodgers theoretically could, but they screw up the Gavin Luck situation and Corey Seager situation for themselves. And Justin Turner, I mean, there are ways to make it work, but are they willing to throw their plan away to appease DJ LeMahieu for five full years? I don't know. If the Toronto Blue Jays do it, they're pretty much taking themselves out of the Francisco Lindor chase. They're not like, they have the same dilemma the Yankees do. Mm -hmm. One definitely blocks the other. So who knows? They would have to do some reprioritizing on the fly. And the Mets paying an additional second baseman just to, keep Jeff McNeil in left field and screw up their George Springer chase is weird. Um, These are all weird options. There's no perfect five-year fit for LeMahieu. Um, And the Yankees aren't a perfect five-year fit either, folks. Um, He's the one that we want. Uh, We'd like to keep him in place. Allowing the exploration to get to this point, whether or not he returns, is pretty embarrassing. That's, that's my take. That, that's sort of the be-all, end-all. Whether he comes back or not to blow an exclusive negotiating window like this reflects poorly on your priorities. Um, and your priorities may very well be kicking the can down the road to the 2021 shortstop free agent class but there's no way of knowing that and so until we know that it's it's pretty uncomfortable to see it
4: listen up ohio because this is a test from pepsi if you call c bus c town you're not from ohio if you don't know the blue jackets actually have a fifth line you're not from ohio and if you don't know what to say when someone yells oh you're not from ohio we know this because at pepsi we are from ohio in fact we bottle ice cold pepsi right here in c bus so when you're thirsty for something that says you're from here and proud of it grab a Pepsi and say here's to O-H-I-O, where Pepsi and life are oh so refreshing.
2: We're going to be right back. And after that, we're definitely going to keep talking about DJ LeMayhew as well as the team's injury bug. Stick around. Welcome back to the Yanks Go Yard podcast. So a- another dirty secret, obviously, we talked about the fact that the Yankees pretty clearly would prefer having a shortstop in place uh, rather than paying all this money for LeMayhew. Another thing that we've we've pretty much ignored the rest of the offseason developments because we've been so focused on the potential of bringing Lemayhu back and what that means for the roster, and meanwhile, every other bit of news from the current roster is pretty bad. Um, Aaron Hicks said this week that he, you know, he's still not comfortable; his elbow didn't feel right all of 2020. Not great. Um, Luis Severino, Brian Cashman made it clear the reins are are not going to be off at any point this year. So even when he does come back as the number two starter, it's going to look a lot like it did when he came back at the end of the 2019 season. And he was like a four inning pitcher. It's going to take a month or two months or three months to work himself back up into any sort of shape. So banking on him, saving the rotation this year is not a viable exercise. Um, And Gio Rochella's surgery that happened that we all sort of just shrugged off is going to take him out through at least the first week or so of spring training. Now we don't know when spring training is there's a chance it's April instead of March and then you'll have another month to build up his strength. But there's nothing good about, about our third baseman having elbow surgery, uh, and, and knocking him out of offseason workouts, basically that that's months without swinging. Uh, that's not valuable. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, you're a little concerned about Severino and I think you're basically concerned about all of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's, let's start with Gio. I think Gio Hicks and Sevi is a great order to go in here. It's also a little bit chronological so that'll help geo surgery out for three months that's the timetable um in a I think best case scenario he theoretically returns in the middle of spring training uh which would put him what that's like two and a half weeks off from opening day uh so I don't know in what scenario ever where it took two weeks two and a half weeks for somebody to get back on the field after elbow surgery and return to form uh, just doesn't happen. You get surgery like that with your throwing arm; it affects your swing. We heard Hicks talk about how it drastically affects it affected his swing this past season. So you have to estimate that that's going to happen with Geo. Um, and it's just the same old shit. It's like already, already there's there's injury concerns, and we, we don't even know when the season's going to start. We just know that we're already screwed with three very key players who are going to play a big role in getting us past the ALCS geo's one of them and I know that it's good that he'll at least be back for opening day but you don't know what his play level is going to be at that time we don't know how long this and also for every individual surgery's different could affect his elbow differently could hinder him in some other aspects that we weren't expecting could take him longer to get back on track and that's going to be key because if Yankees have other injuries as this offseason progresses, if God forbid something happens to Aaron judge and Giancarlo Carlos Stanton again, where they have to miss the first three weeks of the season, because they strained a calf, then you're looking at another problem because geo was a very important part of picking up the slack when those guys were out. Another thing that we have to just chalk up and understand it's going to be a big issue uh, and a lot bigger than we are you know, failing to realize because everything is so hyper-focused around LeMahieu. Secondly, Hicks, that's really not good. Signed a seven-year extension before the 2019 season. He had the elbow problems in 2019. That limited him to – and isn't it, isn't it fucking hilarious that the Yankees finally break their contract extension – rule whatever fake rule this is that they've just installed because they don't want to spend money before they have to and they do it with hicks and severino and then those guys go down immediately within uh, within months literally within months um so hicks had that problem in 2019 i believe he was limited to 53 games that year he got tommy john in october returned for 2020 on time because the season was delayed said in august last year that his elbow still sucks So that was pretty – I don't know why that would change in, you know, two, three months' time. Or getting the six update. He appeared on the Yes Network during Yankees hot stove and said that he still felt weird. He had to adjust his swing to not hyperextend his elbow, his arm. I mean, you saw it when he's throwing in from the outfield. He doesn't have the whip and the the power on his throws that he used to. It's very clear. And Tommy John certainly affects that. I know it's different for position players because – uh, the timetable is much shorter since the uh, pitchers, obviously it's more uh, aggressive for pitchers because all they do is throw. Um, but something has to be said about this. Hicks is, you know, uh, not, he, he's certainly not super young. So getting this surgery a little bit later in your career um, with the position he plays in center field to cover a lot of ground and make sure he's getting the ball in. Um, and also he's an important, he, he, He usually puts forth a lot of, you know, lengthy at bats. So having to swing that many times and stay alive at the plate, you have to think that affects his elbow in some capacity. And if he's still feeling the effects right now, I don't know what makes anybody think that it's going to be drastically different at the start of 2021. Another thing to worry about. And finally, let's get to Severino. Cashman said that they're going to be cautious with him. He's already not expected to return until June or July, we don't know. Yeah, so, that's
2: how this works. It, it takes yeah. a long
1: time. It's not going to be it's not going to be soon. What if he returns after the All-Star break and he they give him a month to maybe get back on track so we're not looking at we're still not even I'm viewing 2021 for Severino as a get back on track year, especially if he's only going to be back I'm going to safely estimate that he's going to be back. He's, he's going to be back for half the year. He's going to make 14, 15 starts.
2: Yeah. The and- Severino estimates are the opposite of the vaccine. At the vaccine, <laughs> people were like, September is, you know, let's be cautious, maybe October. And then now suddenly it's like people are getting vaccinated now. Like someone got vaccinated today. Severino is the opposite. People were like, well, Tommy John's not the same as he used to. He'll be back by June. And now it's like July. Well, the rains will be off in
1: August. And then maybe we'll see him in September. Yeah. Like it's not this year. Sorry. No, it's uh, totally valid points and much more eloquently than Oliver put it. But also if you're looking at hit, if you're going into the, the the problem with the off season this year is that they're, they're, they're legitimately planning on, it seems things could change. I hope it changed. I hope there's stuff going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. They're, they're going into the off season with this cast of starting pitchers and they're expecting Severino to be one of the, power guys behind Cole to hopefully be the number two and Cashman also said that Domingo Hormon is essentially a number two did you read that quote
2: no, well that's it.
1: the worst yeah I mean come on no the answer is a, a guy with a 4.2 ERA is not a number two pitcher okay at so, his best at his best and we still that is that one year was good uh, he also was a beneficiary of the most insane run support you'll ever see in a single season so If we're talking about this is the current rotation that we're going to go into the season with and you're relying on Severino to do something and he's not going to do anything theoretically for the final month and a half of the year, you're going to expect him to be full throttle by the postseason and then that's going to be part of your playoff plan and your playoff rotation. You're going to rely on him to maybe go seven innings. I don't know. I don't think that's a smart idea. If he's coming back this late and he's going to be eased into action for however long that they, they deem appropriate, then I don't know how you view him as as one of the main pieces of a postseason rotation that's going to help you get past the ALCS, which has been their problem for the last three, four years. So I think I think that there needs to be a trade. There's not going to be a signing. It's not going to happen. Trevor Bauer is the only guy out there who would really move the needle for this rotation, and that is fully not happening. So I think that there needs to be a big move made. It needs to be a trade. I don't know if Jamison Talion is enough, Um I think it's a cool acquisition to deepen the rotation. I, I don't know if that's a number two guy given everything that he's dealt with, but if there's not an overarching acquisition uh, being talked about or something that's potentially in the works and they plan on doing going into the season with a, a, a hobbled Severino and banking on him to do anything down the stretch or in the postseason, then, then, then we're talking bad news.
2: That's why I give no credence to the takes that are like, let DJ walk to improve the rotation. I, I, there's no one to improve the rotation with. You're talking about improving the 2022 rotation, I guess, yeah. because they're not paying Trevor Bauer, and there's nobody else who is a difference maker who you could throw Lomagiu's free agent money at. Like, I, I hate to tell you that, but that's just the case. Domingo Herman, in, I mean, it, first off, there's the allegations against Domingo Herman still are so unseemly that I, I wanted the Yankees to plan. I didn't want to, I'm not saying never give him a second chance. I'm not saying no one should give him a second chance. I'm just saying uh, some people, you know, a second chance doesn't necessarily have to be the chance to be a multimillionaire athlete, right? Someone could earn a second chance, and that chance doesn't involve starting a World Series game. That's a pretty prestigious honor that most people don't get. So I'm not saying that, you know, if the allegations, you know, are what they are, then, then maybe his second chance isn't on a major league mound, and I don't think that's too harsh. Uh, but second, I, I wanted the Aggies to plan so that Domingo Herman was not essential, so that they could make this decision, the morality decision, and not have to say, but he's our third best starter. Unfortunately, we're not there, and he is their third best starter. So they're going to have to – it's it's barely even a decision at this point. They have no other calculus to weigh it with. They're going to just have to sort of hand him a rotation spot. Um, and Herman starts in 2019. He did he, – he put the Yankees on his back more often than I think we remember. There were a lot of huge road starts, a big one at Fenway saving a four-game sweep. Uh, he was very good often in 2019. But then again, a domingo Herman start – Was often taking a three nothing lead, holding it for four innings, giving up two runs, and hoping that the offense could punch back or that the bullpen could hold it. Domingo Herman starts weren't eight shutout innings, they were not, you know, seven innings, 12 K's, one run, just consistently locked in from the jump. They were three or four great innings, followed by a tough inning, and hoping that the offense could withstand that tough inning. Uh, That's not a two starter it's probably a four starter and you know, all things being equal. I sure that that's somebody who's a valuable component of your roster. And the 2019 world series might've turned out differently. Had he been there at full strength or been there at all? Uh, I like all the pieces in the Yankees rotation. This isn't a question of who I like and who I don't like. I I love Jordan Montgomery. I think he's going to come into his own in a full season. I love Clark Schmidt. I want him to win the five starter spot. I love Davey Garcia. I just don't want any of these people being the last line of defense against a Nick Nelson start. Like, these are people I like. These aren't people who should be the prominent members of your rotation on opening day. There's a chance Schmidt goes 6-0 with a 1.45 ERA out of the five spot, and then he matters, right? They weren't counting on Herman entering 2019, and then he made it so that he was, you know, essential, filling in for Luis Severino. There's a chance that these guys could do that and could absolutely take hold of a rotation spot, but to plan for that is embarrassing. So yeah, they're going to have to do something on the trade market because Severino isn't a salve, and these guys at the back end, you know, if one of them doesn't pan out, if you have a Kennedy, Hughes, Jabba situation, and they're putting up seven and a half ERAs, then there's no one to turn to unless you've planned for it.
1: I like you said. I like these guys too. I, I and I totally agree, but to 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 plan for them to be the 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 engine for you know that's gonna power this team obviously the offense is a big part of it but we've seen how many years now the starting rotation has held us back. Jordan Montgomery not really battle tested though that ALDS start will hopefully he could springboard off that and have a really awesome 2021, which I'm confident in. I I, I think he's gonna be good. But is he going to be number two starter good? I, I think that's a big ask for a young dude and I think that's even more of a bigger ask, obviously, for Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt. You don't even know what to expect out of Clark Schmidt at this point. And we've only had a very small sample size of Davy Garcia. So to assume that these guys are going to make up arguably the most important part of the roster that's going to be instrumental in getting you to the World Series is, I, I, I mean, hey, I'm not going to knock the optimism if that's the case, but something tells me it's less optimism than it is just being cheap. Or trying to make an excuse to, you know, remain under the luxury tax threshold, and th- that's that's what I feel it is. Um, I'm not saying that's fact, but based on the behavior and the commentary and everything, that, and the contract negoti and the one contract negotiation that we've seen, they're <laughs> the not the only even, one. The only one. There's one going on. It's not looking great. Hopefully, it'll change. But it's also business. So this is how this is how things transpire. Typically, they're not talking to Tanaka. We haven't ha- heard a single word on Paxton even though we assume he's gone, but like we haven't heard a single word on him. So that means they're not really doing anything. And then we got the report the other day that um, Cashman is being very slow and, you know, kind of uh, reactionary to the pitching market and in terms of what's going on. And I don't know. I just don't know if that's the right approach. I don't know if that's the the right approach in two very important years that are coming up. Um, Maybe they view 2022 as the year where they're going to make big splashes. But then again, like, in what, what team makes big splashes that offseason, and then you see the immediate results the following year. It almost never happens. So There's
2: also a big blaring alarm horn, going to be a work stoppage before 2022. Like, yeah. why are we – like, plan for 2022, that's great. That season could easily get wiped out by labor negotiations. You,
1: you can't just keep kicking the can down the road. This might be the last baseball season for a little while. And, it, and based on the negotiations we saw prior to COVID, I mean, you mean to tell me that these two sides are going to hit the negotiating table with any sort of good faith? I don't think so. I, I have no confidence in that. And then if you really want to get uh, pessimistic, you're looking at the final arbitration years for a couple of key guys on the team. One is Aaron judge. The other would be Gary Sanchez. If you're confident in his abilities, I know a lot of people, Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. You know me, I'm a huge football fan,
0: but it can be stressful for us super fans. So Progressive is going to help take your mind
1: off your team for a moment.
0: Instead of thinking about how your team threw the wrong ball on the wrong net, just think about how Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Well, hope this distraction about Progressive's Home Court Explorer was helpful. It sure helped me from stressing about my team for a bit.
1: Anyway, go sports.
3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: Are bullish on what he could potentially do in a full season um, after all the work he's been putting in for the Dominican League this year. But you're looking at maybe the final two years of these guys prior to contract extensions in two shortened seasons. We're not. Jeff Passon said this week and last week that we're probably not getting a 162 game campaign this year. I don't know what it's going. To, he said it's definitely going to be over 100, but it's not going to be 162. So I don't know what the hell that means. And then if we're looking at a work stoppage in 2022, that could be anything. So the time to make and that's probably another that's probably another aspect weighing into the Yankees' decision making to spend because they're like, okay, why are we going to spend money or you know go for it all when these next two years are going to be shortened seasons and we're not getting our full you know theoretically getting our full money's worth of these players or. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, intangible factors like the Rays kind of being a dominant 60 game team, which is what you like to make fun of because everybody was saying that. I also don't really that's know totally what it right. means, but it does help. I mean, it help. look at the Reds. The Reds, made, the Reds made the playoffs and they were, you know, three runs away from getting past the Braves. They just couldn't hit the ball. So that's why this whole thing's different. And then you talk expanded postseason, which is probably going to stick on. And there's a lot of factors here, but I don't know. If I'm rich and I'm the Yankees, I'm probably just moving, and moving in on guys during what I feel is an opportunistic situation. Yeah, and there could be a civil war. You just
2: never know. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with, with the kicking the can down the road and the championing the number one farm system people. Eventually, you have to make decisions to win baseball games because the future is not guaranteed. Um, it's not, we're not pessimistic because we think the Yankees are bad. There's a lot of talent here. We're pessimistic because the window is small ish small esque, and this for this generation of Yankees talent not for the Yankees in general the Yankees will always be one of Major League Baseball's premier teams but for this generation of the Yankees the window is a little smaller than you think and sometimes you have to bite the bullet and make moves that you're not happy with and that aren't palatable to you at the time because the Toronto Blue Jays are coming Um, I would I would say the Toronto Blue Jays ALE stock this year is the is you know might be too expensive a buy at this point but I would say is a pretty safe bet uh, if the Yankees do not uh, get in on the action in the way they should. Uh, folks, that's it for this pretty sad edition of the <laughs> Yanks Go Yard podcast. Um, the Yankees are still good, trust us. But, the, you know, this Monday morning is not a happy time. Uh, you can find us to commiserate on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do get your podcast. Make sure to drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. Don't leave us the review though, that you want to leave for Cashman and House Steinbrenner because we know that's, that's one or two-star maximum. Until next time, I am Adam Weinberg. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinrib.
1: And I'm Thomas Caronante. You can find me at Tommy's underscore takes. And also, please head on over to uh, the Yanks Go Yard official Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. You can ratio us there. It's been a great time arguing about Gary Sanchez, among other things. We have a couple of uh, trade proposals and scenarios that you're probably going to hate or love. I don't know. But it's going to be fun. And then also head on over to YanksGoYard.com. All that stuff is going to be there for you to read on. We want more mailbags. We want more interaction. We want to talk with you and about you on this podcast. So until then, we'll see you on Wednesday, everyone.
2: Remember arguing about Gary Sanchez instead of arguing about civil war and financial (laughs) shutdown? Good times, everybody. We will see you.